You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we come now to um, our Bible reading, and we're continuing our series in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, as the Apostle Paul writes and urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus and to teach the gospel, to fight the good fight of the faith, to oppose uh, the many false teachers and to wage the good warfare. And in the text that we're going to read now, he gets down to his first practical instruction for uh, the churches. So let me read from chapter 2. Uh, Beginning at verse 1, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles, the nations, in faith and in truth. Well, here Paul is giving instructions about the public worship uh, in the churches. Um, And here uh, he's thinking, think of the church in Ephesus, or rather those scattered house churches that there would have been, and and instructions to Timothy as he seeks to wage the good warfare and fight the good fight in Ephesus. And we're going to look at the text uh, under six headings this morning. It's all about prayer. Um, We're going to look, first of all, at the the priority of prayer, and then the the many dimensions of prayer as he piles up this, this list, applications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. And then we look at the, the all-encompassing scope of prayer. Did you notice as we go through how many times he, he uh, speaks of all people? Notice all the alls there as you go through the passage. Then we think of the, the public character of prayer. He's praying for kings and those in high places. And high places, children, is not talking about people who just happen to be on top of tall buildings or mountains or things. He's talking about people with really significant responsibility in public life, uh, kings and presidents and those in high office, we call it, so those in high places. Uh, So we think of the the public character of of prayer. And then we come to his great foundation of prayer, as he says, there is one God and one 
the mediator. There's an interesting thing here. We have all the alls in its great expansive prayer for all nations, but the foundation for that is that there is one God and one Saviour. Because there is one God, we can pray for all people, all the nations, all kinds of people. So there's this correspondence there between all the alls and the one true and living God. And then finally, Paul's own ministry as uh, the apostle to the nations and his own ministry, this great, broad, far-reaching ministry to the nations really fits in with all that he's been saying about prayer. We'll start, though, with the priority of prayer. Uh, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for all people. He's urging this, first of all, first in sequence, first here uh, in priority, Paul, the man of prayer, he doesn't, as you read his, his letters, you frequently see him urging prayer for individuals, prayer in all circumstances. Uh, he says, you know, pray and in everything. In Philippians, he says, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Here it's, first of all, we come to the letter of uh, Ephesians, it's finally prayer. So prayer for Paul is, is first uh, and finally And that uh, instruction, I think, really just reflects uh, the apostolic priority of prayer. Do you remember uh, when we're looking at the book of Acts when they appointed uh, appointed the deacons? And um, the apostles said uh, that we must devote ourselves to, to what? Do you remember what they devoted themselves to? It was to prayer and the ministry of the word. It wasn't the ministry of the word preaching and then prayer tacked on the end. It was prayer and the ministry of the word. So this apostolic uh, priority of prayer and the ministry of the word is reflected here as Paul lays down this great priority for those churches that prayers be made. First of all, I urge pray. So the church, uh, I've been thinking in Ephesus, faced vast challenges. Uh, vast need. Uh, there was false teachers coming in everywhere to these different churches teaching uh, unhelpful rubbish, which was not edifying. Uh, there were ungodly teachers rising up that needed to be dealt with. They were there in the midst of just the darkness of the pagan Roman Empire with all its cruelty, with all its injustice, with so much suffering everywhere. Now, what is the priority? What is the answer to that? Well, first of all, Paul says, I urge that prayers be made. That was to characterise the church in Ephesus. That is to characterise the church uh, in our age as we look out to the great challenges uh, that we face, as we look out on an unbelieving nation, as we look out the great challenges of modern life uh, in Britain, as we look out on the muddling mess that there is uh, in the the churches in many ways, and and, and the darkness and the sort of collapse of of late modernity that we're going through. We can think, well, what what is the answer to all this? Where do we turn? What should we do? Well, pray and prayers. That is uh, God's answer. That was uh, the answer in the ancient world, that they were to have churches which prayed, both individually and in private, and from house to house, and publicly and corporately, they were to pray. That was Paul's first thing he urges Timothy that should happen, is prayers. Not uh, go and evangelise, that wasn't the first thing he said. Not get involved with lots of activities, that wasn't the first thing he said. Not even uh, 
preach the word as the first thing. The two are linked together. First of all, pray, pray. Um, and so we see just the, the, this character of this. It's, remember, it's his public worship he's talking about. And this is uh, what God calls us to. And so pray um, this great uh, priority of prayer. And then we see, we just move on to, to what he says. Uh, we see just these many dimensions of prayer. He, he doesn't say just pray. He urges that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. And you sort of get the feeling that there's just a lot of prayer going on and lots of different kinds of prayer here. So supplication indicates prayer for specific needs. Prayer, just the, the general word, lifting up those prayers to God. Intercession, the sense of urgent pleading on behalf of someone else. And then thanksgiving, giving thanks when our prayers are answered. Thanks, giving thanks for all the many blessings that God gives. So there are these many dimensions of prayers. And I think as we've been going through the Psalms, haven't we seen that? It really schools us in so many different prayers, so many different ways of crying out to God. And, and Paul, as he writes, he's been shaped by the whole of the scriptures. And so you just get this sense that as, as they pray there, um, that the, 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 all the way they've been shaped by scriptures and the many kinds of prayer and intercession would be sort of flowing out there. And that is what he's wanting to see. Um, and, and then we see this, this vast scope of prayer. He says all peoples, and we've noted already all the alls. And I think here it's, it's all kinds of people because he goes on to talk about one kind, one subset which is kings and those in high places, those in authority. So Paul, he's looking out on, on the whole world, as it were, with all its vast need, and he urges prayers made uh, not just for a small group of people in Ephesus, not just for, for the Christians, not just sort of inside those communities for their needs, although, of course, we do lift those prayers to, to God, uh, but there's this very expansive, there's this vast scope as he prays for, uh, for all people and then goes on to pray for kings and those in authority. So you really get the sense that the, the church here, as it's established uh, in Ephesus, was to really intrude upon all kinds of areas of public life. It wasn't to be this privatised ghetto of Christians that were just concerned for their own affairs. Actually, they were to be looking out at the world, praying for the needs of the world, praying for people in other places. This great sort of the, the prayer was to have, as it were, sort of open windows and open doors, and to be able to have this an impact on the world as they prayed for the world. And we can go wrong with this, can't we? we it's good to pray for our own needs and the needs of our own community, but it may be that you've um, been to a church where you sort of spent all week concerned with a great many things in the world and in your own life and you come to church and, and the list of prayers is you know we pray Lord for the, the church barbecue next Saturday that there'll be sunny weather and we we pray for uh, Mrs Black's hospital appointment on Tuesday and we pray and sometimes those prayers can be quite limited now it's good to pray for all these things I never want to say well we shouldn't pray, pray for Mrs Black's hospital appointment or the church barbecue but uh, you see the vision of prayer that the apostle has as is being taught in the, by the scriptures is just vast it encompasses all people you can't really get more vast in scope than everyone can you that is a vast prayer 
Um, and so Paul just, he looks out at the world with a mind that has been shaped by the scriptures. And I was just reflecting again of our studies in, in Genesis and those table of nations and God's purpose to bless the nations through uh, the, 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 the seed, of, seed of the woman, through the Messiah. And this whole scriptural narrative is shaping Paul and his prayers. So he's never going to get boxed in to praying for just the, 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 the needs of a, a, a particular congregations. He will pray for those. But then just his prayers range around the whole world. And we see his great concern as the apostle to the nations. And so we need to be schooled in these things, don't we? And taught these things. Um, remember that the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray and how we need to be taught to pray. And as we learn the scriptures, just gradually be shaped and learn the, the how to pray and what we are to pray for and how we're to pray. And, and in many ways, we're all beginners in these things. Um, and so he goes on to uh, particularly mention kings and those uh, there in high places, places of authority. And so we see the public nature of prayer. Um, and he says, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So these churches were to pray for the public life in the ancient world, in the Roman emperor. All those kings and procurators and all the people who had responsibility in the different states, all the way up to the emperor in Rome. And the emperor in Rome at the time was, was uh, Nero. <laughs> so they were to pray for, for him. And so they were to pray for people who were enemies of the church or people who knew nothing about the gospel. So praying for kings and those in authority doesn't mean that you approve of all their policies. Um, if you pray for those in authority, that they would turn from their wickedness, that they would bring in just and good laws. We, um, so they are there to, to pray for that, and particularly, really, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life. And that is, uh, the state is charged to maintain public order in our, in our cities, and a peaceful and quiet life is a life without riots and interference and uproar and attack and harassment, a life when you can just get on with life, as it were. And so you think of think back to Acts 19. There was a riot in Ephesus, um, very exciting perhaps, um, probably very frightening, but as a result of that, Paul could not preach the gospel. He wanted to, um, but he couldn't. And so in view of that kind of thing, riots and tumult, pray for kings and those in high places. Now we know that the Lord providentially works through all things. He, he works through even uh, warfare and riots and these things. We've seen in the book of Acts how the, the gospel gets, uh, the, the believers get scattered and the Lord sovereignly works all these things. But a peaceful public order, a peaceful societal order is much to be preferred for the church to grow and develop. And we should long for that and pray for that. And I think for the most part, um, mo most of us, at least in the West, have enjoyed a peaceful and tranquil life for many years. 
And so it used to be when you sort of read these verses, praying for a peaceful and quiet life and kings and those in authorities, that you end up thinking, well, I'm going to pray for some rogue African state out there. And we just assume that we have a peaceful and quiet life kind of by rights just because we're in the West. Well, I think after 2020 and 2021, we may have been disabused of that notion and we may be more convinced and persuaded of our need to pray for those in authority. As we see, don't we, how the decisions of those in authority have such a profound effect on the lives of ordinary people, for good or for ill. And so we do really need to continue to pray for for wisdom and help in our days and in our age. And we've seen just the devastation of riots and difficulty there and a loss of public order. And we see that even in modern Britain. There's great, you know, some city centres you you can't go into at night because of knife crime and so on. And so these things are very real. Our prayers need to be reflecting um, just just the, the situation in modern Britain and in the modern West. And so perhaps, you know, we're learning some of these things a little bit uh, in our, uh, over the, with the events of the last 18 months. And so we're to pray for um, those in high place, a bit like um, in Jeremiah, where uh, the people of God were called to pray, pray for the peace of Babylon. Uh, for in their peace, you shall have peace. Jeremiah 29, 27. So we see the public nature of this prayer, and still under that same heading, we see the reason for this, he says, is so, really so that godliness might flourish, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So godliness, the word godliness really refers to a proper reverence towards uh, God, our creator, and a proper uh, reverence towards other people. Um, and a sort of love for God, love for neighbour, proper godliness in all these dimensions. It's a word which actually comes up, it comes up ten times in the New Testament, but seven of those, interestingly, are in 1 Timothy. So as you read through the book, just look out for this word, godliness. Um, it says, uh, great is the mystery of godliness, he says uh, in, in the next chapter. And then, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain in, in chapter 6. And then we, we find that godliness can also be faked. Read of some that think that godliness was a means to financial gain, the sort of false teachers pretending to be godly, but actually trying to fake it. But true godliness comes as God works in us through the gospel to expose our sin, lead us to repentance and faith, sanctify us, that we might live with this reverence for God and peace towards neighbour. And so really he's praying for the public order and for the state to do its job so that ordinary Christian living might flourish and abound in the churches, that we might get on with life, that we might raise the next generation uh, firm in the faith, that we might enjoy all the good things God has given us without harassment. And so uh, this prayer, he says... um, I'm still on the public nature. This, this point does go on a bit, but uh, um, still on the public nature of prayer. Um, this, this, this kind of prayer, he says, uh, is good. Um, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge 
of the truth. And again, I think it refers to all kinds of people, people from every language, tribe, nation, and tongue. So there's a, there's a wrong kind of universalism, uh, isn't there, which says that all people without exception will be saved. We know that Paul does not teach that or b- believe that. Uh, but there is a right kind of universalism that God sent his son to save the world. The gospel is for all. God's purposes in the gospel are vast. He is the creator of all and he sent Christ in the world to die and rise again. And the spirit brings that gospel to every corner of the earth. There's that right kind of universalism because God is the Lord of all. And so our prayers which reflect that are pleasing to God and they are like this sweet smelling uh, sacrifice going up to God. And so Paul prays for kings, those in authority. He's thinking really about the, the growth in godliness, the advance of the gospel around the world. So that's the, the public nature of prayer. And then the foundation for prayer. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is one God. So in the ancient world, there were lots of gods, weren't there? Lots of powers. So if you wanted to go and fight uh, a war, you might go and call upon, who might you call it? You might go and call upon Zeus. If you wanted um, to go on a journey, you might go and call upon, you might go and call upon Hermes, I suppose. Or perhaps you might call upon Hermes if you want to send a package. I'm not quite sure. But in the ancient world, there were lots... There are lots of gods, and they've all got different tasks and functions. And so you're caught up uh, praying, making sacrifice, keeping, trying to appease all these different gods. And, and then there are the other nations have got all their gods as well out there. And so it's very difficult to know who to contact. You've got this great directory of lots of different gods with all their phone numbers. You don't know who to call, do you? Who should you call to sort out all your problems? That's the great problem with uh, having lots of gods. That's the problem of polytheism. But, children, are there more gods than one? No. There is one only, the true and living God. I probably mangled that. And uh, There is one God. And, and, um, and that means uh, we pray to the one true and living God, the one who created all things, the one who sent his son for all, uh, all people. And so uh, we come and we pray to the one God. God the gospel of God is a, is a universal message. It's a message for all people. And so our prayers should reflect that. And so we pray to God the Father who sent his son into the world as a ransom for sin. This, media, um, this, this one mediator between God and man. Uh, if you want to go to, to God, the true and living God, you want to know God the Father, there is only one way to God the Father. It's the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And we see uh, lovely in verse 6, these lovely words that Jesus, uh, the mediator, gave himself as a ransom for all. We see, don't we, here that just the love of the Lord Jesus for us. Jesus, the 
Son of God wasn't forced to be a ransom for sin. He gave himself. He, he was bound, but he, as it were, he let himself be bound as he uh, went to the cross for our sin. As he gave himself that ransom price that we might be set free. Um, and again, this, this picture from the slave market. We were slaves, powerless to help ourselves, facing the wrath of God. In debt over our heads before almighty God, for we had broken his holy law and were deserving of his wrath for our sin. We were powerless under the, the penalty facing the punishment for sin. Powerless to save ourselves. But Christ came. God the Redeemer came. And came and gave himself as a ransom for all. And actually the word there really it, it's, um, it catches the sense of a, 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 a ransom in place of all. Or a substitute ransom. Jesus died in our place on the cross. He bore the punishment that we deserved for our sin. He bore the wrath of God uh, for our sin, died in our place. Just as we read in Mark 10:45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He, de- he paid the debt we could never pay, and he brought us out of slavery and brought us back to our Creator. Jesus brought us out of the house of slavery and brought us, made us sons and daughters of the King of Kings, brought us into the household of God the Father. And that's a great theme in 1 Timothy, how the church is the household of God, the place where we come to know God as Father, come to know the provision of God as Father, the place where we relate to each other as brothers and sisters Uh, Mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, with those familial relations that runs all the way through the book of 1 Timothy. How we're to relate to each other as adopted children of our one heavenly father. Jesus came as the ransom. We've been restored to be precious uh, children adopted into God's household. And because of that, we pray just as a little child can uh, call out to Uh, his or her father, directly with with boldness and freedom. We come before God as a loving Heavenly Father with all our cares, all our concerns, and we can unburden them to our Heavenly Father. And we can pray uh, for people all over the world because God is sovereign over people all over the world. Uh, There's one saviour, and uh, it's not the state, it's not the civil government, If the West is going to be saved and preserved, that is going to be through the Lord Jesus Christ and naming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one saviour for the world. It's not the state. Um, It is the Lord Jesus Christ, although he obviously works out his purposes for the state, for the civil government. And so this, here we are, the evangelistic strategy of the Apostle Paul, this public prayer for for the world. And then preaching the word uh, of God. That is the, the first priority. And then we come finally, just to Paul, very briefly, to Paul's uh, own ministry 
um, which just fits in. I think it's interesting to see how verse 7 just fits in with all that he's been saying. For this, I was appointed a preacher. For this, for this gospel, I think. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles, the, the, the nations, in faith and truth. Paul's God-given mission as an apostle was to preach Christ amongst all the nations. And Paul here, he's reasserting his own apostleship. Um, he's the, the preacher to the nations. He says, I'm not lying. He's defending. He's always having to defend his apostleship. And Paul, he frequently just faces Jewish believers perhaps, uh, uh, who are saying that uh, this Gentile mission and Paul going to the nations was not really uh, not really kosher, not really what God wanted. But he's got to frequently defend that and say, look, this is exactly what God has purposed. And so do you see here, what he's talking about, his apostleship here, actually fits in with everything he's been saying about the fact that there's one God, one mediator for all people. And because of that, it's entirely fitting that Paul is a, a preacher, an apostle to go to the nations, to the world. And so he gives these instructions to Timothy for that church set in the midst of turbulent and difficult and challenging times. He holds out, just to summarise, this great priority of prayer and then the many dimensions of prayer, the vast scope of prayer for all people, the public good of prayer, uh, the foundation of that prayer, one God and one mediator, and then his own ministry of as a, a, the apostle to the nations. And so what do we draw from this? Well, we need to learn how to pray as a church. We need to learn how to pray both in our public prayers and our prayers as households, our prayers individually, to be shaped by this. And why do we need this? Well, because God has set us in the midst of the nations. It is not uh, the apostle... Um, Paul, he's handed this baton over to Timothy, but now this deposit, this good deposit of the gospel has landed with us. We are God's covenant people, and it is to us, for us to be praying for the nations, for us to be praying for our city, for us to be praying for all kinds of people. And so may God bless his word to us today, and may he work in us through his word and by the power of his spirit everything that is pleasing to him. Amen. I think probably after a sermon like that, it's appropriate to close in prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that we have this freedom of access to come into your presence. We're, we're sorry for our sin. Uh, we're sorry for our, our prayerlessness. We're sorry uh, for... Uh, for, for, for our sin in this era and pray that you might instruct us you might teach us you might help us that our prayers would be those sweet uh, smelling incense going up to the throne room for we pray in and through the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, the only mediator the one who intercedes for us Amen You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at Gloucester Pres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K.